This is a podcast from the Department of War Studies, King's College London. To find out more, go to kcl.ac.uk forward slash war studies. Welcome to the War Studies podcast recorded on the 15th of November 2013. I'm Peter Bush. Today's main topic is US intelligence and the Snowden revelations. We have an interview with award-winning German journalist Elmar Tevesen, who did a television documentary on the subject. Elmar was invited to give a talk here in London by the study group on intelligence. And the secretary of this group is our own Dr. Michael Goodman, reader in intelligence and international affairs. We also mingled with the audience at the event afterwards and bring you the views on PRISM, etc. of Dr. Adam Svensson, of the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies in Denmark. Finally, we continue our new series, Where Are They Now?, and find out more about former MA student Jenny Tobias, who is now employed by the International Committee of the Red Cross. But first of all, Jane Peek is here to tell us more about next week's events. Hi, Jane. How are you today? Very well, thanks. So what's up next week? We have three events next week. On Monday, the 18th of November at 630 The Research Centre in International Relations are hosting a seminar by Mark Salter from the School of Political Studies from the University of Ottawa, and that is entitled Through a Scanner Darkly, Comparing Methods in Security Studies, and that's in room K2, which is on the ground floor. And then on Friday, we have two events. The first one's at half past two. Will I be next? US drones in Pakistan. Mr. Mustafa Kadri from Amnesty International will be talking in the War Studies meeting room, and that's hosted by the Afghan Studies Research Group. Also on Friday at six o'clock, Sierra Leone, A Political History, by David Harries, who is a lecturer in African Studies at the University of Bradford, and that's also in the War Studies meeting room, and that's hosted by the Conflict, Security and Development Research Group. Thanks a lot, Jane, and see you next week. See you next week. Tempera, Prism and Endgame, Collecting Mass Data for Cyber Warfare was the title of the talk Elmer Davison gave at RUSI earlier this month. Elmer Davison is Deputy Editor-in-Chief and Head of News and Current Affairs of ZDF, Public German Television. He began his journalistic career in ZDF's Bonn Bureau in 1991, was then, among other things, correspondent in ZDF's Washington office. Elmer has won several awards, among them the prestigious Deutscher Fernsehpreis, the German Television Award, in 2012, for a documentary on 9-11. He has authored five books, and you'll find the details on our podcast page. Elmer gave a presentation to colleagues and students from King's and other universities, as well as policymakers at an event organized by the study group on intelligence. Afterwards, our MA student Jonathan Noy caught up with Elmer And he began by asking him how he had got interested in the topic. Of course, over the last couple of years, we always have seen that surveillance agencies or intelligence agencies uh, were tempted to demand more and more of uh, 
um, legal um, permission to gather information, to collect data. Uh, they wanted credit card data. They wanted uh, wiretaps everywhere. Um, sometimes they um, they didn't succeed because of the courts. Sometimes the, the political system prevented them from doing so. So we always saw that the intelligence agencies wanted to have more information. But only, of course, in recent months we have seen how far the intelligence agencies would go, either with or even without a political permission to do so. Okay. And do you think sensitivity in Germany to these issues is either higher or lower than in, say, France, which has a history of a fairly active intelligence service, both internally and externally? I think, of course, the Germans are more upset about the issue. Uh, But that being said, that doesn't mean that really the entire population is upset because we had very small demonstrations of protests during the summer after the Snowden revelations. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a big public debate in the newspapers and in, in all the media and the political scenery. Um, so there is more outrage than in France. And, and I think you're right. It, it also depends on two things. Number one, whether there is a nation state that has long history of uh, espionage, then many things are considered to be okay because it furthers the national interests. Uh, and number two, if a country has experienced terrorism attacks, for example, by itself, uh, in itself, um, for example, Britain and France, they had terrorist attacks over the past decades. France, for example, in the middle 90s, they had uh, major terrorism attacks in Paris. Then I think people are less concerned about surveillance because they think it's really necessary to prevent other terrorism attacks to happen. And moving on to big data and it, the way it is gathered, do you think there is a situation where an awful lot of data can be gathered very easily, but the analysis hasn't caught up with the scale of collection? And as such, although it may be collected, it's not been put to as good a use as it may be. Yeah, I think the biggest problem for the intelligence services of the, or actually 10 years ago, was that they already were able to collect plenty of data, but they really had a hard time to analyze it and find the gold nuggets. Um, and the biggest trauma of the uh, NSA was that the attackers of 9-11 were hiding a few kilometers from the headquarters of the NSA uh, without being detected. So right after 9-11, they thought we have to come up with better ways to collect more and also to analyze it to find the gold nuggets. And since then, I think the technology has advanced so much that not only you are able to collect nearly everything, but also you are able to analyze it in a way that you can not only for uh, countering terrorism or crime, but also for other purposes, you can really do something with all the mass data. And do you think metadata by itself is enough, or do you think they should be looking towards far more innovative ways of really focusing down on those gold nuggets instead of just sifting through metadata? I think we have seen, of course, that even though they had good analyzing tools already, um, that still some terrorism attacks took place or could have taken place also. 
uh, just to give you an example that the guy entered uh, a plane in the Netherlands in Amsterdam a few years ago and was able to fly all the way to the US and having a bomb with in his underwear. Uh, he tried to uh, to set off the bomb, uh, didn't succeed, but he could have, and he was on some of the or in some of the databases, but nobody was able to connect the dots. Not the best analyzing software back then was able to do that. But they are still aiming to be able to to succeed, to really get to the point where you can, with mass data and with good analyzing tools, get out. The gold nuggets, and I think they're very close to that uh, target. Mm. And in your talk, you brought up the sheer number of employees, both working directly for and through companies associated with the NSA and other intelligence agencies. Do you think that there is a risk that the way they go about recruiting a lot of these people does leave them inherently vulnerable to? leaks such as that of Snowden? There's a huge risk if you have 860,000 people who have top security clearance in the United States, and many of them are employees of private contractors. Um, there is really a high risk that there are people among there who are not really uh, do not uh, have uh, the standards that you have to require from people doing such a important and sensible work. Um, at the same time, this was the only way for the intelligence agencies to really deal with all the mass data and analyze it. So what they did is they outsourced this because they couldn't do it themselves um, because of the restricted resources they had. But there was a second reason to it. They also have some legal restrictions. So they just outsourced some of that work to companies that might not have to abide by those legal uh, legal uh, um, um, restrictions. Um, and I think this is a huge problem. Um, it is kind of a merger of the corporate and the state. I think the whistleblowers are right. And the oversight has been circumvented by that, circumvened by that, and we have to find ways to make the oversight work again. On the subject of legal oversight, do you think that there is a danger that if some companies regulate more firmly than others that would be putting themselves at a competitive disadvantage, both on a commercial level but also from a national security point of view. That's right. The big question is whether we have no spy agreements or we have legal rules that apply to this country and not to that country or just to part of the world, few countries like the European Union. Uh, this could give uh, what could create a disadvantage um, towards others. And that is, I think, at the heart of the whole problem. We're not talking about gathering mass data for fighting terrorism or preventing crimes. That is part of it, but it's not the main goal. The main goal is to collect as many information as possible, as much information as possible, in order to know more than all the others, because then you can use this knowledge to make your political, economic, and military decisions to advance the national interests of the nation-state. And I think that is something that needs to be discussed. Espionage is something that has been around for a long, long time. But now with the new technologies and the ability to uh, wiretap everyone, to survey everything, uh, I think we are in a new stage where um, the nation, the national interests um, are really always only in the front seat and many other considerations including alliances, including 
whether good friends are being hurt by this economically and otherwise are taking a backseat, and I think we should reconsider that. Mm. And for this discussion to take place, or indeed um, as it is taking place, do you think there's a danger that those with the power to influence policy are perhaps not as aware of both the technology but also the means involved compared to, say, Generation Z? Yeah, I think uh, that is a huge problem as well. If the politicians who are making the decisions are not informed enough to actually make an informed decision, uh, that is a problem because it could create situations that also um, would hurt um, not only a nation-state, but also a whole uh, alliance, for example. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. If the German politicians um, think it's, it's uh, the best way now to, to put restriction on everything and, and uh, pr- prohibit counter-espionage, or espionage, actually, uh, then I think they are on the wrong track, because this is naive to believe just because one nation-state doesn't do it, or one European Union doesn't do it, the others would would not do it too. They will continue on, and this will hurt the national interests of a country, but also international interests of a community. Uh, and if you ask people whether they rather want to have their jobs saved uh, as opposed to um, not having uh, a working espionage, uh, because of restrictions, they would uh, say, well, we want espionage if it helps to, uh, to, to secure our jobs. So I think that has to be part of the public discussion as well. And on a final note, the costs involved both in terms of the technology and the manpower requirements are very substantial. Do you think it is a good cost-benefit balance compared to the information that it can yield compared to the amount of man-hours and financial commitments it requires? I think this is a very tough question because um, there's no way out. The technologies are evolving and basically you have to invest the money in those technologies and in the resources who work with them. Um, but um, I, I'm not aware of any um, comparisons there or scientific work on that. My guess would be it might be much cheaper to invest in all those technologies and all those people running those technologies than in the end to invest in a huge apparatus for fighting wars. If wars can be fought in the, in the future or conflicts can be fought in the future by mostly relying on technology, technology as opposed to soldiers and tanks and planes and so on, I think in the end it is cheaper um, to to uh, to focus on, for example, uh, cyber warfare capabilities. Okay. Well, thank you. And on a personal note, do you have any major projects for the future, or what are your plans? Actually, we're working on NSA two, another documentary on the issue, because of the recent revelations, we think we need to uh, really dig a little deeper. Uh, and and ask if at all it is possible to come up with rules and regulations and no-spy agreements, or if that in the end, we should be honest enough to admit, will hurt 
national interest and international interests as well. And is the original documentary available for an international audience? Yes, it is. It's on the webpage of ZDF, which is www.heute.de. It's spelled H-E-U-T-E dot D-E. And the documentary is called Worldwide War. So if you type it into the search engine, you'll find it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was Jonathan Neu talking to Elmar Teveson, and we have a link to the documentary on our podcast page. Jonathan also spoke to Dr. Adam Svensson at the meeting, during the lunch break to be precise, and uh, Adam is an intelligence and defense strategist, researcher, and associate consultant at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, Denmark. His publications include three books, among them Understanding Globalization of Intelligence, published by Paul Grave Macmillan in 2012. Jonathan started the conversation by asking about privacy. These days, perhaps talking of privacy lines, we should be perhaps talking more about privacy buffers. So you're going to have a number of different levels and a number of different lines, and you'll, you'll go over one line, if you like, and then be down to another level. And again, you're back into these big big debates. Lawyers will approach privacy from one angle, for example, intelligence officers from another angle. So, uh, yeah, you're getting into quite interesting debates. Politicians from another angle again. Um, so, um, but I think it does raise some interesting areas, certainly, again, about where we, we should be having these uh, privacy lines drawn. And again, uh, we're obviously talking a lot about government work, but also, so that's, let's say, the, the public sector. But again, of course, we've got the private sector involved, commercial sector involved. And then again, we're into big debates about how data is handled in those sorts of contexts. And we see this with more concerns about private security companies, private security companies, and so forth. So... Um, yes, I can see we're going to have lots of debates uh, into the future, and that's certainly going to be uh, setting up a very busy policy <laughs> and legislative uh, yes. agenda in, in, in the future, <laughs> certainly. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'd be really... I mean, I'm, I'd be very interested to see really what, what comes out of uh, these, these sorts of discussions, the range of activities that can be permitted and um, how long data can be stored and that side of things. Do you think there is a danger that if some countries have more stringent regulatory frameworks than others, they will really just be putting themselves at a competitive disadvantage? Yeah, I think I think there is a risk of that. Um, it's one of these things people talk about a lot with globalization. Well, we're more interconnected. Um, that makes us more vulnerable, sure, but also it does um, give us uh, well a lot more freedoms, let's say. And it, it's a bit like the freedom challenge. If you're too free, you're not free. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you're getting into sort of these sorts of paradoxes, um, and different countries will legislate in different ways. Um, and that's the debates they've really got to have within their national parliaments, I suppose, in their contexts. Um, and I suppose there's going to be some sorts of debates going up into an international level, let's say the United Nations, I suppose, um, on, on all these sorts of issues. And finally, our series, Where Are They Now?, Today we'll hear from Jenny Tobias, recent graduate of the MA in Conflict Security and Development. Here's Jenny. 
I work in um, a communications role as events and online officer for the International Committee of the Red Cross in London. I studied the Conflict Security and Development Masters in the Department of War Studies and I graduated um, just recently in 2012. Um, I got to my current role through a fairly winding trajectory. Um, I studied Russian and Spanish for my undergraduate degree and I graduated in 2009, so probably the worst of the recession. Um, and having not really done any planning apart from a sort of vague notion that I wanted to work in something international that involved languages, um, I sort of was a bit of a loss. So um, a friend and I decided to go to South America and I ended up living in Buenos Aires for a year, um, just teaching English, doing a bit of freelancing, um, sort of writing little articles for, um, at one point, a Russian parenting magazine, despite the fact that I had no children, um, and sort of a bit of online marketing, various, various things. When I came back, I got a job with an internet startup, um, which was brilliant. And, you know, I learned an awful lot there. But I knew while I was there that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And by this point, I decided that I was really interested in either political risk or perhaps working for an international organization like the UN. Um, so I made quite a, I think, a calculated decision that if one of these organizations was going to employ me, I would have to go and get a master's degree. So I ended up at King's, um, which turned out to be a really good choice. Um, I was working the whole way through about three days a week, which was, you know, I needed to support myself, but also meant that I perhaps couldn't really take advantage of most of a lot of the opportunities that King's offers for networking and things like that. Nonetheless, I got a lot out of it. And when I finished, I went back to work full time at my old job at the startup. Um, I started applying for jobs and got this one in, at the end of last year. So I've now been there for about 10 months. My position, I love it. It's, 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 it's a great job. Um, it's very, very varied. In the UK, we work very closely with the government and other kind of actors of influence to um, try and encourage support for our operations overseas. We also have a small office in Northern Ireland, which works to try and mitigate the consequences of, of the former conflict. The ICRC as an organisation is 150 years old this year and it works in about 80 countries around the world dealing with the consequences of armed conflict, protecting the victims, um, providing assistance in the form of medical care, um, water and sanitation projects and um, also protecting civilians. So that might be visiting detainees held in connection with armed conflict um, or reporting allegations of arrest to the authorities involved. So all kinds of manner of different things. My role is a communications role, so that involves both sort of public communications, so that's running um, the UK section of the website, producing short films, writing articles, things like that. It can also involve sometimes um, working in Parliament, doing some sort of, pu sort of public affairs work, working with think tanks, um, do doing occasional bits of research, writing reports. Um, it's, it's really varied and it changes every day. And one thing that I really like is that you get to go out of the office and do things, which was something I found very frustrating about my current role, my previous role, which was just sitting in front of a computer all day. So that's really good. This was the War Studies Podcast, recorded on the 15th of November 2013. I'm Peter Bush. Thanks for listening.